Well, it's good to be back. And uh, it's been three months. I haven't preached in three months. So I can say with honesty, this is the most difficult sermon I've preached in the last three months. So, uh, but we be... <laughs> you know, it's me. What can you say? We begin a new series today. I appreciate all the, the effort. And I just want to say thanks to everyone who stepped in while I was on sabbatical. Uh, they all did a great job, and uh, I just really appreciated um, all the kind words you all had to say last week, and um, we'll be talking a bit more about that a little bit later if I have time. Uh, thanks, Brian, for leaving me lots of time. I see that they, well, they haven't started, they have they put a, a countdown clock up there for me. I don't know what that's about, but, um, <laughs> but anyhow, I guess we'll find out, huh? But we do begin a series today called Marriage, uh, Finding the Missing Pieces. And uh, this has been a, ser- a series that I have been encouraged to give over about the last year and a half to two years. And I keep coming back to this thing when people ask me, when are you going to preach on marriage? I think I've already preached on marriage. And they say, when did you preach on marriage? I preached on marriage ten years ago. Uh, they say, Martin, we don't remember what you preached on ten years ago. We don't always remember what you preached on last week. So I said, okay, well, maybe we'll go back and we'll, we'll look at some of this and, um, and do this. And then as I started outlining the series over the last three months, I thought, you know, Lord, you've really done a lot of development, development in my own life um, over the last ten years since I last preached, so... This will, some of it will be new to me as well as to you. Some will be, rehe- um, not rehearsal, but it'll be, uh, you'll be reminded. I told you, it's been three months, you know. Um, be reminded, and I think we all need that. We all need that. So, let's all stand today because uh, I want us to read a passage that I'm not going to um, uh, go through verse by verse, but it's just going gonna, gonna to serve as a launch point. Um, for this series, and this series will not all be taken from this passage, but it will be sort of this is the beginning, the gate that we're going to take uh, take out from over the next two weeks. So, but it's in Ephesians 5, starting with verse 21 through the end of the chapter. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or with any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands must love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and he cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, 
and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And his wife must respect her husband. Father, as we come before you uh, regarding a topic that is incredibly important to you for some very profound reasons, Father, I pray that you would use this to transform us into your image, Lord, that we may reflect a hope and a vibrancy in our marriages and in our families, to our children and to a watching world. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Marriage, finding the missing pieces. I call it finding the missing pieces because I feel like oftentimes there are pieces that are missing that we, that we cannot find as we enter into marriage. Looking back, most couples, most married couples would be the first to tell you that they had no idea what they were getting into when they said their vows to one another. Anybody disagree with that? Anybody agree with that? You had no idea what you were getting into when you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. I was talking to a recently married person this last week and I asked them this question, did you have any idea? And he said, Martin, I had no idea. And we had great counseling, but we still had no idea. I says, well, you know, there are some things you just got to learn through experience. Kim and I just celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary. It's been a long time. Now, I'm not big on celebrations, so I asked her, I says, you know, what, what do you want to do? And uh, she says, let's, let's go on a hike. And I says, that sounds good. And she said, let's take the car. <laughs> I says, that's fair. You went a thousand miles with me up into Canada, and now we'll drive the car so we went up to, to sunrise, and I let her choose the hike, and uh, we hiked six miles on a strenuous trail that was classified as strenuous. But as we walked on this trail, I asked her this question. I said, over 31 years, has there ever been a time when you thought to yourself, even just for a fleeting moment, I'm about ready to throw in the towel with this guy. Even just, you didn't even have to entertain it. It was just kind of like one of those thoughts that just, boom, pop in your head. And she said, no. I said, really? Even during our most difficult times, you've never thought of throwing in the towel. And she said, no. Wow, you're better than I am. <laughs> and she says, you know, honey, when I said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do you part, I meant it. 
I meant it. I meant it. For so many people, so many couples, that's one of the missing pieces. That's one of the missing pieces in our marriages. Marriage is oftentimes feels like it's a lot more than what we bargained for, isn't it? A lot more than what we bargained for. See, in our culture, um, society rel- d- diminishes marriage, the marriage covenant, the marriage ceremony to a contract. And the contract says this, as long as we are compatible, which is code for saying, as long as we meet each other's needs, then I'm here. I'm with you. I'm all in. But you know what? If you begin to develop a pattern in your life and in our relationship where you start to slack off and you're not no longer committed to meeting my needs, then you know what? Then it's time to maybe exit stage right and find other options because, after all, I have a right to be happy, happy, happy. These days, I've got a great clip from Duck Dynasty I'm going to show you on marriage. So, I'm not going to tell you when because you just got to make a commitment to coming to watch that clip, all right? This has resulted in sort of a commodification of relationships. Where at the very beginning when man fell, humanity fell, we, at one point, were focused towards God and towards His purposes for our lives. But when we fell, we sort of imploded. We turned inward and we started focusing upon our own desires. And the reason we did that was because I made myself God. You can read about that in Romans 1.18 and following. I call that the commodification of relationships. Where as long as you meet my need, you know, we're good. But at the point when you cease to meet my need, then, you know, then there needs to be a little renegotiation of the relationship. And they call that a civil contract. Now, I know immediately within some of our minds, it begins to raise the question, well, is there never... An exit strategy is there never a, a reason to, uh, a legitimate reason to go through the difficult, arduous process of divorce, to which I would say, last resort, yes, but very, very qualified and very, very last resort. See, we need to understand, folks, that. God says and said from the very beginning that marriage is not a contract filled with you do this and you do that and if you both do it together, then you're good. If you cease to do it, then you've got this exit strategy 
That's not what God established marriage as. And make no mistake, God is the creator of marriage, not man. And God is the one who sets up the conditions and the stipulations, not man. And we do not have a right to tinker with it. But that's our culture, isn't it? God established marriage as a divine covenant. A divine covenant, which is very, very different than a contract. And Paul recounts at the very first wedding where the Trinity, in the form of Pastor God, made this statement in Ephesians 5.31. He's really repeating verbatim Genesis 2.24. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to... United to his wife. And that term, united to, be it in Hebrew or in Greek, is a covenant term which means to be legally bound, emotionally bound, spiritually bound to one another. And it goes much, much deeper than just an agreement. For he goes on and says, and as a result of this bonding, this bounding, this, bi- this binding, this joining together, this relationship, as a result of that, two separate individuals, they will, not they might, not they could, not that they maybe, but they will become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. One flesh. What does one flesh mean? One flesh means one flesh. It's a symbolic expression for something that's very, very deep that goes beyond the physicality of our bodies to something that is really symbolic of soul uniting. And that's why he goes on to say this is a profound mercy. He doesn't call this just a mystery, but he calls it a profound mystery. Why does He do that? Because in this divine covenant, this, this divine covenant, this divine covenant actually joins us together in ways that we cannot imagine. And this divine, this joining together is the creative and the imaginative work of Almighty God. It is something that goes far deeper than what we can ever imagine. And that's why Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, when He's talking about marriage and He's combating this frivolous attitude that existed amongst the Pharisees uh, regarding divorce, He says, what God has joined together. Who joined them together? God joined them together. What God has joined together Let no one try to separate or rip apart. And if that's not enough, Malachi 2.15, which is one of my personal favorite passages on marriage, he said, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? And this union is symbolized by sexual intimacy. It's symbolized by the sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy, and we're going to talk about sex in this series. 
um, in a few three or four weeks, whenever I have it scheduled, I remember. But we're going to talk about this profound act of sexual intimacy. But this sexual intimacy is a symbol. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, There is more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as it is physical fact. As it is written, the two become one. I love that. It's as much spiritual mystery as it is physical fact. But marriage is a divine covenant that joins us together. And this joining together is part of the creative, imaginative work of God. Now this work, this work does have a framework. And there are some things that we need to understand in living this covenant out. And this framework is like a compass. It's like a compass that tells us which way is which. North, south, east, or west. It tells us this is the direction you are heading. This, these are your bearings. But it is a framework. This divine covenant has a framework that we are to devote our mind to understanding and it goes, our understanding must go beyond just behavior and understanding our behavior. It must go into roots of behavior and models and examples and why and how and all of that and we'll begin to get into that next week. But it goes beyond our minds. It must, we must devote our minds to it, but it goes beyond our minds and it begins to encompass our hearts or our place of will and devotion. And we must adopt this compass. We must adopt this compass as the framework for our marriage. And this framework which we will deal with for two weeks and then move on from there, but is in Ephesians 5, 21, not 22. We're going to start at 21. If you've been through church for a while, most pastors start at 22. It doesn't start there. It starts at 21. We'll get into that. Why? Very profound reasons. It starts at 21 and goes through the end of the chapter, verse 32. But let me suffice it to say this. This relationship to which he has called us in this divine covenant and living out this divine covenant, it has a relational movement, a relational, I don't like the term dance, but it works. Nate used that a way of understanding and relating to one another that mirrors the very nature of God in the Trinity. Now, I wrestled with this a lot this last week. Am I going too far in saying that marriage mirrors 
the Trinity, and I don't think I am. And I even called a good friend of mine who's very theologically astute. He said, Martin, you may be taken a little bit farther than what the passage does that you're looking at, but it is true of the overall scope of Scripture. As a bingo, I'm saying it then. Rick, if you said I'm good with it, I'm good. All right, I'm going with it. But it, re- it, it mirrors the very Trinitarian relationship of our God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit in terms of how we treat each other. And we'll talk more about that next week. Because it's very, very important in understanding why that is. But on a side that is a little bit more easily to understand, but equally profound, this framework mirrors the relationship that is displayed in the Gospel of Christ. It displays, mirrors the, the relationship that is in the Gospel of Christ. In other words, in other words, it displays the sacrificial relationship that Christ has with His church. So I believe we can say with integrity and accuracy, if you understand the, rela- the gospel, you will understand marriage. If you don't understand the gospel, you will never be able to understand marriage and that relational movement that exists that God calls us to through the covenant between a husband and a wife you will never be able to understand it so I'm saying this this series is going to be formed and informed by the gospel it must be It must be, because marriage originates with God out of His very imagination, out of His very nature, it reflects His very nature of the Trinity, and that is reflected in how Christ came and mirrors for us the relationship between a husband and a wife and says it's just like with Christ and the church. And if that's a bit confusing, then we'll get into that more next week, and hopefully I'll be able to make sense of it. Now, it's really important that we understand that husbands and wives get this, embrace this, because our children are watching. Marriage between a husband and wife within this divine covenant becomes a picture, an illustration for our children of the very gospel of God, of Christ, and the very nature of God. For it says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Why has the Lord made them one? Speaking of marriage. Why is it that God has made them one in this divine covenant that has been formed by God, that is a part of the work of God? Why is that he say that? Because he is seeking godly offspring. Offspring who understand 
God. Through watching their parents in this relational, gospel-formed, gospel-informed movement throughout their lives. Throughout their lives. This is what makes marriage a mystery. And not just a mystery, but a profound mystery. A profound mystery. Okay, so marriage is what? A mystery. A mystery. Marriage is what? A mystery. It is rooted in the divine covenant. Now, marriage is a divine covenant to which I pledge my allegiance. To which I pledge my allegiance. Now, you've got to understand, and this is something I make clear to every couple I marry. Excuse me, I officiate. This pledge is made first to God. When they stand before me or before another minister who understands and and embraces and seeks to communicate this, you need to understand that you make your commitment, your pledge, first and foremost to God. Why? Because marriage comes from God. But that is where the pledge first goes. And then you make your pledge to your spouse. And then to the community. But the community is not the originator of marriage or the definer of the covenant, the divine covenant. Your spouse is not the originator of marriage or the definer of the divine covenant. God is. So, it's all about God in this. So this pledge is made first to God and then to my spouse, my community. And in doing this, I enter into or under His authority. What God has joined together. Jesus makes that very clear. I don't join anybody together. It is part of the creative, imaginative work of God. I enter under His authority. Now, as we go through this pledging, you need to understand that this pledge, which is made first to God and then to our spouse and then to the community, This pledge is a promise and it's not a feeling. It is not a feeling. Everybody say, it is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. So you guys can do better than that. It is not a feeling. Amen. It is not a feeling. You're not making a promise based on how you feel at that moment when you are in the midst of your wedding ceremony. You don't make any promises based upon that feeling. 
what you are doing is you are pledging to God and then your spouse and then to the community. You are pledging yourself to become a certain kind of person in your, in your character and in your actions. In your character and in your actions. In the choices that you make. As you go through life until the end of your life, regardless of how you feel. Regardless of how you feel. Believe it or not, Kim and I still have conflicts. It doesn't happen real often, but occasionally I get it wrong. Several months ago, I think it was back in March, I wasn't feeling real well. But we were getting along great. And I was getting better. And I said, you know, let's, let's call a couple, this couple. And I says, let's go out and have dinner together. I said, okay. So we called him and I said, Let's go and have dinner. She said, great, we'd love to. About an hour and a half later, something happened. Something terrible happened. I don't remember what it was, and neither does she. But I'm sure it was something terrible. And she said something, and I just took it wrong. And I said something, and she said something back. And I said something back. She said something back. I got up from my chair, and I was angry. And everything that I'm telling you right now meant nothing. (laughs) It meant nothing to me. All I wanted to do at that point was exercise my right to be right. We all have that right, correct? Uh, What happened was I ended up leaving the house and coming up to the church. And I sat in my office stewing. I'm in no mood to go out to dinner with anybody. So I called this couple... And I says, you know, I'm really not feeling very well. I think we better pass on dinner tonight. Would have been a little awkward. By the way, we finally fessed up to this couple at family camp. Remember when? And then God just started convicting me. He said, Martin, this is not the kind of person you are called to be. So I texted to Kim. That's a chicken way out. I texted to her and I says, I'm sorry. She texted back, I'm sorry. 
Oh, well, maybe I should go back home now. Well, wait a minute. That feels a bit awkward. We've only communicated through text. So I called her, and I said, baby, I said, I am really sorry. I was a jerk. I was a jerk. This is not the kind of person I am called to be, and this is not the kind of person I promised to be. And she said, I know. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) She apologized and I went home and she said, what did I say? I said, oh, you know, I'm sure we talked about it. I just don't remember what it was all about. But when you make a pledge, when you make a pledge, You pledge yourself to become a certain kind of person in your character and in your choices as you go through your life until the end of your life, regardless of how you feel. Now this pledge will test us, as it does me, right? Anybody anybody, uh, here tested in their pledge that they've made to their spouse? Not Michael, Claudia. <laughs> they're so they're so real. But um it will test us. And we will struggle and we will fail. But that's when we come back with humility and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm remembering this framework. I'm remembering what you're calling me into. This pledge will test us. I am really appreciative of all the very kind things that you all said last week in my welcome back, now get to work ceremony. (laughs) But I got to tell you, I would not be who I am today if it was not for my wife. She has called me to be a better man. God has used her to confront sin in my life. The sin of selfishness. The sin of pride. Sins that I didn't even know I had. Throughout my life. And vice versa. God does not use marriage to make us happy, happy, happy. He uses marriage to make us holy. Timothy Keller, the pastor, very a man I have a whole lot of respect for at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, New York. Presbyterian, but that's okay. He writes this. Marriage is God's invention for our good and His glory. Its purpose is to sanctify us. 
I would not be here where I am today as a man following Jesus if it had not been for my marriage. God takes our selfishness in marriage, exposes it. Anybody say amen? amen. Exposes it and uses it against us for our own good. I love that. Uses it against us for our own good. The reason we have to finally come to grips with our own faults in marriage is because they are ruining our lives. God uses marriage in a profoundly redemptive way. And we're going to talk more about that. In a profoundly redemptive way. Now some of you may be thinking, but Martin, I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. I thought it was just a nice hallmark saying, very poetic, rhythmical. Something that you just say, you know. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Well, here's the hope. Marriage is a divine covenant to which God commits Himself on our behalf. (laughs) That is the hope. That is the glory of this. That is the glory of this. God enters into, Scripture is very clear, that God enters into a partnership when we say, I do, to Him, and then to my spouse, and then to the community. He comes in and He says, I'm all over this. You're not on your own. Amen? You're not on your own. He says, you commit yourself to Me. And I'll be with you in the trenches. I will be with you in the trenches. I will empower you. And when I think about this, It makes me want to say I'm all in. In the midst of the mess, in the midst of my own sin, we know, we know this for certain, folks, that God is involved. That God is involved. Let's say it. That God is involved. Is God involved? Yes, He is. Challenging us, forming us, transforming us, transforming us. Almighty God looks at you and your spouse and says this, I will work with you. I'm all in. I'm all in. But this partnership begins with my own personal understanding of the very nature, the very essence, the very actions of the Gospel. You see how it gets back to the Gospel? If, it's, if, the, gospel, if the nature of God created the Gospel of God and how the Gospel of God created the marriage, the divine covenant... It all is in there together like a large ball of, ball of yarn. 
We've got to be able to understand what the Gospel is. And not only that, but what the Gospel did. What Jesus did when He looked at the Father and He said to the Father, I submit to You and I will leave My glory. I will leave My interests behind. I will leave Myself behind. I will empty Myself. And I will come in to a place that's going to stretch Me. That's not going to be easy. In fact, I will have to learn obedience, Hebrews says of Christ. Through weeping and wailing. As Hebrews says, he learned obedience. You see, the submission of Christ to the Father, we submit one to another in the same, in the same, in the same way. It's profound how it begins to all tie together and reflect the very Trinitarian nature of God and is illustrated in the very actions and decisions and choices of the Gospel through Christ. It's profound. It's a partnership that begins with my personal commitment to understanding the Gospel and my personal commitment to living out the Gospel in my relationships especially with my wife, where I show grace because I have been shown grace. Not I show grace because she shows me grace. But I forgive because I have been forgiven, not because she forgives me. But I serve because I have been served by Christ and therefore I serve her, not because she serves me. It has nothing to do with how she treats me. It has everything to do with how Christ has treated me and what He is calling me to reflect back to Him and His glory and to her for His glory. That's what it looks like. And it will stretch us and challenge us and we will have failures But in humility, we repent. And He will in turn be redemptive and exalt and heal and redeem. It says this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now, we often take that passage and we say it's the power of God for my salvation, my eternal life. That is true. But it goes way beyond that. It is the power of God unto salvation for my marriage. It is the power of God for salvation for my family. The Gospel forms and informs everything about this and it empowers. It creates that partnership that exists between me and Almighty God in the divine covenant of marriage. It makes me want to say, Lord, I'm all in and forgive me if I haven't understood this in the past, but I really want to understand it now. 
But in the midst of this, remember this. While the divine covenant is a partnership to which God himself has committed, God will call us to an account. He calls us to an account. And it's not to thump us. It's when we lose our way, it's to bring us back to his ways. He's just like a father with a child. Just like a father with a child. Malachi 2. Let me just read this. They were... Israel was just very very cavalier about this whole issue of the divine covenant. And they were cavalier and they were just doing their own thing. And God calls them on to account on this. And starting with chapter 2, verse 13 of Malachi, he says, You flood, literally in the Hebrew, overwhelm the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings and accepts them with pleasure from your hands. In other words, they go to church and they do the religious thing, but it's just going through the motions and there's nothing to it. There's no substance to it. There's a spiritual disconnect. They pray, but they hear nothing. They worship, but they experience nothing. They hear, they listen, but they get nothing. In verse 14, you ask, well, why is this the case, Lord? Why is this the case? Why is there this spiritual disconnect? And he says this, is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith or literally dealt treacherously with her. Though she is the wife of your youth, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. It's a divine covenant. God partners with us. He empowers us, but He also will discipline us when we become cavalier and disregard the divine covenant. I want us to go through just a short season of prayer right now. We begin this journey today that will probably last six, maybe eight weeks. <laughs> it depends. This sermon has turned into three. Um, but I don't know where all of you are in the sense of where you are with your spouse. And I know that there are many here who are not married, but I want you to understand that if you hope to one day be married, you need to understand these things. But as we go through this time right now, I want us to take and just bow your head and close your eyes and we're just going to have a time of prayer and that is and I want to start with this question 
Are you and God on the same page when it comes to understanding this issue of the divine covenant? Are you on the same page? And if not, just surrender that to the Lord at this point in time and just say, Lord, put me on the same page. I want to encourage you to take and devote yourself to this journey and say, God, I'm all in. I want to be challenged. I want to be stretched. I want to understand so I can fully embrace all that you have for me through Christ Jesus and the gospel so that I can have joy in the midst of my marriage. Devote yourself to that. Take a moment and some of you may be terrified. Some of you may be deathly terrified because you've never been at this point together and you don't know what's in store and you may end up having to go places that terrify you. Take a moment and just tell them that. He's your father. He's your father. He doesn't want you terrified, but if you are, he wants to assure you that he is there and he loves you and he's crazy about you as a son and his daughter. Take a moment now and just ask the question, are there areas where you are holding back? It may be grudges, it may be bitterness that is separating you from your spouse. Just understand that that destroys, that kills you as a person in your marriage. Just tell God you want to be released from that. Repent of that and just say, God, release me from this. Free me from this. He doesn't want us in bondage. As you... Think about your spouse. How can you pray for them right now? How could you pray for him or for her as you begin this journey? Just lift them before the Lord. Speak grace over their lives before God. Ask the Lord, how can I bless my spouse today? How can I show gospel formed action? Be it telling them that you forgive them, be it asking them to forgive you, be it it just encourage with love. Ask the Lord, 
how you can do that. Just tell the Lord that's what you want to do. It's about a pledge, it's not about a feeling. Father, we thank you for the gospel and how it just shapes all of this. And Lord, we want to understand how we can live into that and be formed by it and celebrate it. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we go through this series. Lord, that we may be able to reclaim or discover for the first time your intention for us in our marriages. And Father, I pray that there would be stories that emerge of how you have met couples, how you have met us in profound ways as we grow, as we go through this time. For Father, we are not going to be able to engage in this in any meaningful way apart from the power of your Spirit. So, Father, may you meet us in each of these places. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, be in prayer for this time for us as a body because we have people whose marriages are just soaring and then we have people whose marriages are souring and we have people whose marriages are stuck yeah that's pretty good soaring souring stuck I'm a preacher but be praying for that because I don't doubt that there's healing that needs to go on within this body here and this very very important issue amen Anybody know anyone who has healing, needs healing? So be praying. Secondly, I want to encourage you to sit down with your spouse at least once this week and pray that you both would have receptive hearts. Don't pray that your spouse will have a receptive heart. That doesn't count. Pray that you will have a receptive heart to whatever God has for you. And that God will take the two of you to a whole new level as we go through this time together. Amen? Amen.